Uh, tonight, we're back in our routine. We're back at Grace, and we're going to continue on with our series. We're going to pick up where we left off, back to our series in Cross Life called Alone Together. And tonight, we're going to have a guest speaker, even though he's not really a guest to most of us. He's here consistently. In fact, a little backstory on the fella tonight. First time I met Deontay was when he was a freshman. It was my first year uh, working at Grace with Cross Life. And I was in the dorms welcoming new students. And I was in uh, the dorms of a couple football players, and Deontay came in. And uh, there's lots that has changed about Deontay since he was a freshman. But one thing that hasn't changed is his exuberance and excitement to meet you and be around you. I love that about him. So I remember even from the first time I met this guy, let me tell you what has changed. Um, most of you know Deontay, or many of you know Deontay because his face is on a billboard or because he's around because he's a football player. But that's not what I love and respect about Deontay. What I love and respect about Deontay is how he loves the Lord. So tonight isn't about how great grace or cross life or even Deontay is. We're just saying how great our God is. But what Deontay will tell you tonight and what I appreciate about Deontay is his love for the Lord. He knows how great our God is. And so he's going to take you through scripture tonight and tell you more. Let's welcome up Deontay. Thank you, Tanner, for that wonderful intro. Um, Saves me some time. I want to make sure everyone has a handout. So I have some guys back there grab the handouts. And if you don't have a handout, raise your hand. Sort of outlines uh, what we're going to be going going through tonight. So raise your hand if you don't have an outline. Raise it high. Don't be ashamed. Didn't we just sing unashamed? Uh, <laughs> not be ashamed. <clears throat> we, we sung some great songs, some very rich songs, and I always uh, love to sing with you guys. <clears throat> and I'm very thankful, and I count it a great privilege just to be able to share God's word with you. I, I love the word of God. Um, I love to talk about it, and I love to apply it uh, to my life. <clears throat> so, as Tanner said, my name's Deontay, um, and as m- many of you know, we're going through a series, as Tanner just said, called Alone Together, Alone Together, and in this series, we've been studying the one another's of Scripture. Uh, be at peace with one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens, There's a lot of one another's in the New Testament. And the focus of this series is really fellowship, which is such an important part of the believer's life, to be with other believers, to be in communion with them. And so tonight we're going to continue in the New Testament and look at another one another. Catch that? Another one another. Um, So with that being said, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And for those of you who do not know where that book is, you have the first four Gospels of the New Testament. Mark. Sorry, Matthew, Mark. (laughs) I didn't know where it's at. I need to know where it's at. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You have Acts. You have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You have Galatians. Romans. Sorry, I missed Romans. Thank you, guys. That's humbling. Romans. (laughs) First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. <clears throat> Philippians. And the verse in which we will be looking at tonight uh, is in the second chapter of this book. In the second chapter of this book. It's verse 3. Read that with me. Paul says, 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I'll read it again. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is the verse in which we will be unpacking tonight. Uh, But before we unpack this verse, and before we explain uh, what it means and what Paul, the author, is saying to the Philippians, his audience, I want to give you some information about this letter. It's a great letter. And I want to give you some context to this book. Uh, The book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Hence the name Philippians. And some interesting things to note about the book of Philippians is that it's one of Paul's four prison epistles. This is one of the letters that Paul wrote when he was in chains. When he was in chains. And the reason why Paul was in chains was because, I guess simply to put it, he preached Christ. He preached Christ. He was a very bold man of God. I love the Apostle Paul. Can't wait to meet him. He was an unashamed preacher and teacher of God's word. Never held back. The book of Acts tells us that immediately after his conversion, immediately after he became a Christian, he began to preach and teach Jesus in the synagogues. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to some Ephesians, and he says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am, not, I am innocent of, your, of the blood of all. Paul had been with these Ephesians for, for several years, and he was departing from them. And what he said is, I'm innocent of your blood. I have a clear conscience before God as I depart from you. Why? He says, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul didn't shrink back from telling them anything that the word of God had to say. He loved to proclaim Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this, The Jews demand a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. The apostle Paul preached Christ. That's that's all he really knew. And because Paul preached Christ so unreservedly, uh, he often ran into those who were opposed to his message. Such an exclusive message. Christ, the only way, not through the law, not through super knowledge, Christ. There were definitely men who opposed his message. Who opposed his message. And this boldness of Paul led to him, led to him being thrown in prison. He was thrown in prison. And it was during his imprisonment that he, he, uh, he wrote this letter to the, to the Philippians, in which we've turned our attention to. And he wrote other letters. He wrote letters to encourage believers. He wrote them to rebuke them sometimes, to correct, to correct them, to uh, exhort them, to instruct them. And I want to note something else about this book of about this book here, uh, something that I've been so very challenged with. This book is often called the Epistle of Joy, uh, the Epistle of Joy. And I find it so amazing that the Apostle Paul is so joyful as he's literally in chains. As he's literally in chains. It seemed to me to be abnormal that the, the Apostle Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice often. And he says that he's filled with joy. That he's happy. That he's happy. 
Because he was suffering. Because he was suffering. But as I, beca- but as I continue to read the book of Philippians, I noticed another theme of this book. And it was this, Christ. It was Jesus Christ. Christ is mentioned 50 times within, within four chapters. 50 times. And thus is your explanation of why Paul was happy. Why he was happy as he was in chains. Because he had Christ. As he was in prison, he thought about Christ and he wanted to be with Christ. This truth is very challenging. The truth that joy and happiness don't come from your circumstances. The truth that joy and happiness don't come from your relationships in life. Girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Mom, dad. The truth that happiness doesn't come from the successes in life. Academically, athletically, whatever it may be. But that joy comes from Christ. It comes from Christ. Happiness, if you want to be happy, Christ is the means to that. So I want to pose the question to you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the source of joy is Jesus? Can you say that with a clear conscience? That he alone is the source of pleasure in your life. If I was, look, if I was to look deep down in your heart, would that be true? The psalmist writes in chapter 16, verse 11, he says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Speaking of God, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God brings pleasure. God brings joy. Don't forget that. It's such a rich truth and a great reminder uh, this book of Philippians brings forth. And I want to talk to you about this church in Philippi. I'm just trying to give you some context before we really dig in. Uh, What do we know about this church? Well, I believe that it's no understatement that this church was a very mature bunch. They probably were the most mature bunch that the Apostle Paul had knew. As you read any of the letters in the New Testament, Paul was often addressing serious doctrinal issues or serious moral issues. But this was not the case as he wrote this book. There were no doctrinal issues that he addressed. There were no moral issues that he addressed. This church was very mature. They had a great love for God. And on top of that, the church had a great love for Paul himself. But listen to this. But though this church was very mature, they were by no means perfect. By no means perfect. They weren't flawless. And Paul knew this about the church. He knew that they needed growth in Jesus Christ. And that's why he says what he says in chapter 1, verse 22. Look there with me. Chapter 1, verse 22. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Verse 23. I'm hard pressed between the two. Paul was struggling with wanting to live on earth here and wanting to die and be with Christ. He loved Christ that much. Second half of verse 23, he says, My desire is to, part, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
That is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. It was more necessary that Paul stayed on earth and helped these Philippian believers grow. Verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain here and continue with you all. Why? For your progress and joy in faith. Paul was convinced that God was keeping him alive for the sake of others spiritually. Paul was convinced of this. And specifically, looking at the church in Philippi, they definitely needed to make some progress. In one specific area, they had a problem. They needed to grow in the area that seemed to be causing so much issues in this church. And it was this. Here was their problem, disunity. They were in conflict. They were in disagreement. Look at chapter 1 of uh, of this book, verse 27. Paul says, only let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to you and see, see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul was certain that he would eventually be released from prison. And he said, listen, whether I come to see you or not, I want you to be unified. I want you to be agreeing in the Lord. Look at chapter two of this book, verse 14. Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. There was complaining and arguing going on in this church. And Paul said that needed to come to a halt. That needed to stop. That needed to stop. And maybe this issue of disunity is most clearly seen in in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, I entreat... He's about to give two names of women. Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. These women were arguing. They were fighting. And I think these women give a good picture of the issues that were going on in this church. And so Paul, being more, more than aware of this issue of disunity, he addresses this. He addresses this issue in chapter 2, which is where we'll spend most of our time tonight. In chapter 2, he addresses this issue. And as we read, as we first started, verse 3, when Paul said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul's not telling them this just to do something just to do something. But this verse is a means to an end. This verse Paul gives to the Philippians to accomplish a goal. What was that goal? It was unity. It was unity. So if there's something that I I want you to forget, if you're sleepy or tired, or there's something that I really want you to remember, is this about Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. This verse is given so that believers would agree with one another, that we would live in unity with one another, that we would love one another. So let's begin in Philippians chapter 2 to really talk about it in detail. 
Starting in verse 1, I'll read to verse 1 to 3. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. So in verse 1, Paul says, so, or many of your versions might say, therefore, and Paul here is pointing back to something he said in chapter 1, verse 27, where he exhorted the believers to be unified, where he exhorted them to be unified. And so what he's saying here in, chat, in verse 1 is, as a result of me just instructing you to be unified, here are the reasons why you should be unified. So verse 1 addresses the issue of why. Why? Why should those believers in Philippi have unity? Or maybe bringing it to us today as Christians, why should we have unity amongst one another? Amongst one another. This verse, in, this verse might be a little confusing to some of you. It sounds like Paul's asking questions. It says, if there is any encouragement, or he says, if there is any comfort from love, if there is any participation in the Spirit, might be a little confusing, but to get a better idea of what he's really saying here, uh, substitute the if there is any with this, since there is. So Paul is saying here in verse 1, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from love, since there is participation in the Spirit, because there is affection and sympathy, then be unified. Be unified. And so in verse 1 here, Paul gives the reasons. So let's look at it in detail. He says, because there is encouragement in Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, this word means it denotes someone coming alongside of you and giving you a word of encouragement, a word of consolation. And so what Paul is saying here is because Christ has come alongside of you, Christian, because he strengthens you and consoles you. You should be unified. Romans 15.5 says, God is the God of endurance and of encouragement. He gives strength. And because God gives strength, we are able as believers to accomplish unity. So that's the first reason why we should be unified. The second reason, Paul says, because there's comfort from love. Because there's comfort from love. Because Christ comes alongside of us and eases our struggles and pains in life, we should be unified. This takes away the excuse of unity being too stressful and too sad and too disappointing to accomplish. Because God comforts us, because he alleviates our struggles, we are able to get past the stresses and the pressures that come with trying to be unified. And it is a very stressful thing. So the second incentive is because Christ comforts us with his love. The third reason why we should be unified, Paul says, because we have participation in the spirit. Because we as believers have been given one spirit. Ephesians 4 says there is one body and one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. We as believers have the same spirit of God living within us. 
Each and every one of us has the spirit of God living within them. The same spirit. And this should compel us to exemplify unity. The unity that we have inwardly. And the last incentive, the last reason why we should be unified, Paul says, because there's affection and sympathy that comes from God. Because God has loved us, because he's been affectionate towards us and has shown us mercy, we should be unified. The fact that God loves you should compel you to obey his word. It should compel you to obey his word. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls us. It controls us because Christ has loved us. It it pushes us to do what we do. So in verse 1, we have the reasons why we should be unified as believers. Because Christ loved us so deeply. Because he's given us the same spirit. Because he strengthens us and comforts us. That's why we should be unified. And moving on to verse 2, Paul gives here the marks of unity. What does unity look like? Verse 2, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Simply put, unity is being one. It is being the same. Paul says, have the same mind. What does that mean? Well, it means this, to think the same way. To think the same way. 1 Peter 3.8 says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Believers are to have the same type of mentality. We are to think the same. And on top of that, we are to have the same type of love. Paul says, have the same love. Have the same love. Believers are to have that sacrificial and affectionate love that the word of God tells us to have. And Paul says, being in full accord. Being in full accord. What does that mean? What Paul is saying here, be one-souled. One-souled. Have the same desires. Have the same affections. Have the same feelings, etc. Be the same. And lastly, Paul says, have one mind. Have the same purpose in life, Christians. We should have the same purpose in life. And that purpose should be to honor and bring glory to God. Honor and bring glory to God. And so in verse 1, we have the reasons why we should be unified. And in verse 2, we have what unity looks like. It looks like being the same. It looks like us being one as believers. And so we move on to our verse, the verse where we really want to hone on. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul here is saying this is how you accomplish unity. You want to know how to accomplish unity? You want to know how to be in agreement with other Christians? Live out Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And this is such a marvelous passage of Scripture, and I'm thankful that we're going to end on it tonight. And I want to note something about this verse. I want to note something about this verse. This verse goes against our very nature. It goes against our very flesh. One commentator said this, 
Such radical behavior is rare. So rare that someone thinks like this. Much of what we do is not done out of love, someone says, but out of our own desire, our own advancement, our own promotion. Much of what we do is for ourselves. And we as human beings and even as Christians are very selfish. We're very conceited and often think that we have all the answers and know it all. And the beginning of this verse says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And we as humans and even as believers are very prideful and love ourselves, don't we? And we think our needs and our wants are the most important thing in life. Yet this verse, the second half of this verse says to consider others as more important than ourselves. This verse is so abnormal to the way we think. We as Christians don't typically think this way. We aren't often others-minded, thinking of others. But we should. We should if we wish to be unified. And so we have this difficult command in Scripture that goes against our nature. And how are we to accomplish it? Only by the grace of God. I want to make that clear. Only by the grace of God. And so I find it necessary to address an issue here tonight, taking a little rabbit trail as I talk about the grace of God. There are probably some here who don't know Jesus Christ. There are probably some here who haven't accepted Christ as Lord of your life and Savior. And so I want to beg you tonight, unbeliever, to turn to God, to turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. The Bible says that we have sinned against our creator. And because of that, he will punish sin. And that's very bad news. But that's not the only news. The good news is that Jesus Christ has come and taken on the wrath of God. And so I plea again with you non-Christian in the audience. Believe in Christ. Place your faith in Jesus before it's too late. Before it's too late. And so turning back to the Christian who can accomplish what Paul says here. Who can accomplish what Paul says here. This is so difficult for us. But we must do it. We must. And so Paul says here first, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What does it look like to be selfish? To have a selfish ambition? Well, this word here is very interesting. It's used to denote a self-seeking pursuit of political office. I'll say that again. It denotes a self-seeking pursuit of political office. You are all aware of politicians and their methods that they choose to try to get in office, right? And what they do is they focus on making their opponents look bad, saying this person does that very bad and this person does that very bad. And what they're trying to do is lift themselves up. They're trying to give an exalted view of themselves by putting down others. And that's the idea that this word speaks of. It speaks of someone trying to get something for their own self-exaltation. And knocking someone down in the process. It's a very self-centered mindset. 
And it's no surprise that the Philippian believers were in conflict and in disagreement with such a mindset. With such a mindset. It's no wonder why they were arguing and disputing amongst amongst each other. They were doing everything for themselves. Everything for themselves. This is the way politicians think. This is the way that people think who are in rivalry with others and want to be exalted in the end, want to be lifted high in the end. This is the way those people think. Such a mindset does the exact opposite of bring unity. It does the exact opposite. James says about this mindset, he says, where this selfish ambition exists, so does chaos and evil. When we have this type of mindset, chaos is amongst us. Evil is amongst us. And so if the believers wish to be in agreement with other believers, if you wish to be unified, you can't have this type of heart, this selfish mindset. This selfish mindset. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition. And he also says, do nothing from conceit. What Paul is saying here is do nothing for your own glory, for your own praise. Don't act in order that you might be glorified by others and be adored by others. Don't act like that. And I like what he does here in verse 3. These words agree so much. They agree so much because the one who is selfish and has a selfish ambition is the one who's seeking his own glory. And I'll say it again, this is such a me-focused mentality. Such a me-focused mentality. And so Paul says, do absolutely nothing with this heart, with the selfish heart, with the conceited heart. Is this the way you think? Are you selfish? Are you conceited? Do you think with a self-exalted mindset of yourself? Are you the person who does things in order that people might say, wow, you're such a great person? If you were to truly examine your life, could you say that this mindset isn't a part of you? Could you say that? And if you are struggling to answer that question of, is this me? I, wanna, I, want, I want you to examine one area of your life in which this type of selfish mindset might be present. And it's the area of conversation. Conversation. How do your conversations with others look? Are you a person who's conversing with people and always trying to talk about yourself? You've met those people. Always talking about yourself. Are you always trying to bring up things in your life that you're doing well? Or what about your knowledge, the things that you know? Are you always a person trying to show what you know in order that people might think highly of you? Wow, he knows so much. He's such a great guy. Is that your mindset? Such a mindset is described in this verse. And Paul says, do nothing with this mindset. And just in case anyone is feeling pretty good about themselves, just in case you're feeling a little good um, and you're saying, I don't think this way. I don't talk about myself. 
I don't talk about my knowledges and successes in life. I don't do that. I know that as I was studying this passage, I was like, yeah, yeah, Deontay, you don't, you don't talk about yourself. You don't, you don't do things for yourself to be exalted. And thus thinking that way, I, I did exactly what this verse was saying. Do you put on a false humility? It's the same type of selfish mindset. Do you have a false humility? Is there any type of thinking going on in your life in which you're selfish and conceited? Paul says, don't think like that. Don't have that mindset amongst yourself if you wish to have unity. Don't have it. If you you wish to live in harmony with the person sitting next to you, don't have that mindset. And so let us consider the second half of Philippians 2. It says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. I like the way Paul sets up this verse. He says, don't do this, but do this. And what they're really showing is that these two things, these two mindsets cannot exist with each other. Where there is pride in your life, there cannot be humility. Where there, there is a mindset that is set on self, there cannot be a mindset that's set on others. The two just can't be. They're contrary to one another. The very, the very opposite of wanting to exalt yourself and wanting to be lifted high, i.e. pride, the very opposite of that is being lowly in mind and thinking little of yourself. Humility. The very opposite of thinking about yourselves and thinking about your needs and having an attitude that screams me, me, me. The very opposite of that is having an attitude that screams others, others, others. And so Paul says, if you wish to be in agreement, if you wish to be in unity, you must have a lowly mindset, a humble mindset. A mindset that is others oriented. You must think of others This is so rare, even in our own lives. And as I was thinking of this, I was like, where can I show them a good example of what this looks like? Who can I point to? Definitely not myself. Definitely not myself. Who exemplifies this others-oriented mentality? Who exemplifies a lowly mindset mentality? And I think the Apostle Paul, the author of this book, is a great example of that. He's a great example of that. Think of this book as Paul was writing and he was in chain and he was being persecuted. Think about it. He still found time to write to others and to encourage them. He was so focused on others. And think about the things that Paul struggled with. He wanted to die and be with Christ. As he was facing persecution, he wanted to go home and be with his Lord. But in chapter one, he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. He thought of others. He thought of others. And Paul never tried to put himself on a pedestal. He never tried to exalt himself. 
and speak about his successes and accomplishments in life. Actually, in Philippians chapter 3, in the next chapter over, Paul says that his accomplishment and his successes are as good as feces. Feces. He says they're they're as, they're as good as excrement. You know the word. That's crap. They're nothing. Paul was a great example of that humble mindset, that others-oriented mindset. But though the Apostle Paul was a great example of this mindset, I think there's someone who even better exemplifies this mindset. And if we continue to read down a little further past verse 3 of chapter 2, we find who that person is. So read with me as we close. Verse 4, Paul says, Let each one of you not only... Or look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Look to the interests of others. Think of others, Paul is saying. Verse 5, he says, have this mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Which is the mindset that Christ had. You wonder why this verse goes against our very nature. It's the way God thinks. It's the way God thinks. Christ was the perfect example of humility, a perfect example of a lowly mindset. Look at verse 6 of this chapter. It says, Who, though, speaking of Christ, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Though he was God, he he didn't count it equality to be God or to be the same as God. He was truly God from eternity past, but he put on limitations. He took on flesh. Such a great humility, such a humility that we will never understand. We'll never understand that type of humility. And Christ was the perfect example of someone who was others oriented. Look at verse eight. It says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on the cross. Who did Christ die for? Was it for himself? Was it for himself? Did he take on the wrath of God for himself? Or was it for you? Or was it for believers all around the world who place faith in him? This others-oriented mindset is so perfectly seen in the cross. Christ died for the sake of you and for the sake of me. Because he loved us. And such a selflessness, such an others-oriented mindset, we will never understand. We will never understand. But we can flesh this out. And so in closing... And so in closing, as we think of what Paul says in verse 3 here, in order that we might accomplish unity, as he says, do nothing from selfishness and from a conceited mindset. As he says, do not do any of those things. And as he tells us to put on a humble mindset and to think of others, and as he points to Christ as being the perfect example in this, in what ways can you put on this mind? There are surely ways in your life to where you can accomplish this. 
In what ways can you humble yourself and consider others more important than yourself? In what ways can you accomplish that in your life? The worst thing you can do is leave here today and not do anything about it. Make no mistake, the Bible says, hear the word and be doers of the word. By the grace of God, in what ways can you accomplish this humility? What ways, just like Christ, can you sacrifice for others? I pray that God will help you think about this and how you can accomplish this in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be able to learn more about your word. Lord, to think about it, to get a better grasp on what it's saying, Lord, and not just to understand it, Lord, or to have a better knowledge, but like your word says, to apply it to our lives, to hear it and to do it by your grace, Lord. Oh God, would you help us look to Christ as the perfect example of this mindset, this humble mindset, this mindset that thinks of others, Lord? Would you help us to look to Christ as that example? Would you help us to practice this in our own lives, with our families, with our friends, Lord? Help us to practice this, God. And even as we break tonight, would you help us to practice this, Lord? To be humble and to think of others tonight. Oh, Father, and I can't help but to pray for anyone here in our midst, Lord, that doesn't know you, doesn't know your son, God. Oh, Father, James says this life is but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow, Lord. I pray that that person would think about their soul, Lord, and that they would talk to someone about what it means to know Christ as Lord and Savior. In whose name we pray, amen.